1: And I usually sit here and I watch episodes of West Wing and I cut fold
0: books. <laughs> oh, that sounds delightful.
1: I apologize to anyone that is upset about me cutting up books because, warning, I have destroyed quite a number of books in
0: making book art. Hey readers, I'm Anne Bogle and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 110. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader what should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, the Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge is live for 2018. Visit the show notes for today's episode to get the details. That's at What Should whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 110. That's one one zero. Visit that page to sign up and get your free goodies to help you get more out of your reading life in 2018. Readers, I'm so excited to bring you our first full episode with a guest from Down Under today, at least in the full-length version. Today, I'm talking books with Fiona Toms, a party-planning, paleo-cooking, PTA president mom of three kids who lives in Sydney, Australia. You may recognize Fiona's voice from episode 62 because she recommended two books to me in the What Should Anne Read Next episode, and I knew then from what she said that she would be so much fun to talk books with at length. Today, it's happening. Fiona and I discuss the pleasures and perils of the Australian literary life, how she loves to read fictional books about the places she travels to, and there are many, how her life wore an uncanny resemblance to the Leon Moriarty novel, Big Little Lies for a while, and more. Let's get to it. Fiona, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. So ever since, I guess we didn't actually chat. But I feel like we did back on episode 37 when you recommended a book, two books, I think, actually, that I should read next. I have been thinking, wouldn't it be great to talk one day? And thank you so much for making that happen today at our respective strange times since you're in Australia and I'm in East Coast, United States.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, because um, I've been had it had it as my aim this year to try and get onto your podcast. And so I was so excited when Brenna emailed me and said, would you like to come on? And I said, of course I would. So it's just been tricky for us to work out times uh, to talk. Uh, I think there's a 14 hour time difference between us. So
0: it's been a little tricky. Yes. with With day jobs, it does make it hard, but we did it. Where are you in Australia, Fiona? I'm based in Sydney, So a lot of
1: Americans think it's the capital of Australia, but it's just the biggest city. Which
0: one is the capital? Canberra. Okay. I have cousins in Australia. The story there is my mom's cousin who grew up with her, I believe, in Louisville, Kentucky, graduated school as an engineer, got his first real job, and after not too long was like You're only young once. I've always been curious. I am moving halfway around the world and I'm not sure the city that they ended up in, but I know that it's 60 miles from Sydney and 60 miles from Melbourne and we see them very rarely when they come visit, but I've never been on that 23 hour flight to go see them, but we love to hear about it. We have to stock up on the sunscreen before they come in the summer.
1: Uh huh. Absolutely. Well, it s- sounds a bit like um, the book, Alexander and the No Good, Very Bad Day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We'd love that book at my house. You know, I don't want to make it sound like a grown up having a temper tantrum. I think it was a very thought out plan. Although this was now like 40 years ago. This has been a while. But uh, yeah, a little bit. Have you always lived in Sydney? Uh, yes, I have. So my uh,
1: my parents, neither of them were born in Australia actually and they met in London, moved, ended up travelling around a lot around Europe and then came to Australia. And my dad, who's Scottish, said that once he got to Australia, he's found the best country in the world and he's never left. Um, so there you go. And so I've lived in Sydney for most of my life and we've been back Uh, for about three years now. But before that, we lived in North Carolina for eight years uh, for my husband's work. And so we lived in a little town called Wilmington, North Carolina, which is a famous movie town. A lot of TV shows shot there. Um, So I have a little bit of a taste of living in the south of the US, but definitely Australian and definitely no accent picked up from there.
0: (laughs) In Wilmington. I know Wilmington, but I didn't know that about the TV shows.
1: I'll tell you some of the TV shows that they filmed there. Uh, So the first one, the first famous one that's been filmed there was um, Dawson's Creek. And then they filmed One Tree Hill. And at the moment they're filming Under the Dome.
0: And I think a, a show called Good Behavior is being filmed there as well. I did not know any of that. What is it about Wilmington? I can vaguely remember the Dawson's Creek background, like I can picture the trees and some water.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's a um, it's a fun little tourist town with a really beautiful beach. Um, so there's a lot of uh, beach houses there. And so during the summer, it gets pretty crowded. Um, and there's a movie studio there. And lots of people are extras. So there's just, it's just a very... Um, sort of laid back vibe to the town
0: and some picturesque kind of sites to film movies at. I did not know. What brought you all to North Carolina? I'm assuming it wasn't the film industry.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, uh, my husband's job, uh, he was offered a position in Wilmington and we decided, we came over for a visit. We went over for a visit for a week to see what it was like and we Enjoyed the week that we stayed there and uh, we came over for a project and we thought we'd be there for about two to three years and we ended up being there for eight, uh, which was fantastic. We loved it. Um, so, yes.
0: So, you must have had kids at the time if you have three now and you've been back three years. Yes. Yeah, so, we we
1: moved over with one baby and we came back with three children. So, two of my children are dual citizens of the U.S. and Australia.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So, what what do you think... Our listeners should know about living in Sydney. If our entire experience is from Alexander and Leon Moriarty novels,
1: <laughs> actually, funny story about um,
0: the uh, Leon Moriarty novels. Um,
1: one of them, I think it's Big Little Lies, is based in a suburb called Pirawee. and so the suburb next to me is Kirawee, and it's near the beach. And last oh, two years ago, my son started kindergarten, and we had a trivia night at school. Does this sound like the novel at all in any way? (laughs) So so fortunately nothing major happened for us at the trivia night, but I did read that book in anticipation thinking, you know, this just sounds like too much of a coincidence for me to not read this book at this time in my life. But Australia, it's – I guess the thing about living in Sydney – is it's a very big city. So we have about 5 million people living here. So there's a bit of a contrast from Wilmington, which has about 250,000 people. We're not as advanced in terms of some of the technology and, and shipping things. So I really do miss Amazon. That's one of the things I really do miss. We don't have Amazon here yet. It's, they say they're coming, but not yet. It is very expensive to be here. So I think that does put people off travelling here and it's a bit of a shock um, to go out to a restaurant and see how much the prices are for things. I guess the cost of living here is very high, but salaries are higher too. The big thing in Sydney is whether you can afford to buy a house. It's just real estate here is so, so expensive. Yeah, everything's expensive here. So you just have to be prepared. You have to save up if you're going to come and visit. You just need to save up um, and be ready to come. But it is beautiful. Um, So we have the amazing Sydney Harbour and when you go into the city and you come out at Circular Quay, uh, you can see the Opera House on the right and then on the left is the Harbour Bridge and then the beautiful blue sparkling water of the harbour. It's just absolutely breathtaking. So, you need, and one of the best things to do is to um, do the bridge climb. So, you get to climb up on top of the harbour bridge right up to where the flags are and look out across the harbour. And so, that's the thing I recommend everyone do when they come to Sydney. And you can do it at different times of the day. So, you can do it during the day or at night time. But I think the best one is. Uh, the dusk walk. So you go up during the daytime facing into the harbour and then you come back down towards the city at nighttime with all the lights on in the city. And it's just absolutely spectacular.
0: I didn't know you could do that. That sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, it's expensive, but it's totally worth doing.
0: (laughs) Worth it. What's the book culture like in Sydney? Well, so we've had a few big stores close um,
1: in the city uh, but there are a, num- a number of small, smaller kind of chains of bookstores that are around. So we have a big Japanese bookstore called Kinokuniya in the city, which is amazing and stocks every kind of book you could think of. And we have Abbey's bookstore, which has been around for quite some time. I don't think people read as much as I was anticipating they would. So it took me a little while to find a book club. Um, But now that I have found one, I found my people, I feel like I'm, I feel at home again. I think people here tend to read, a lot of people have um, read eBooks here because books are really, really expensive. So for instance, if I went into a bookstore to buy kind of a new release or a two or three year old book, it would cost about $30. And secondhand books tend to cost about $5 each as well. So I find that's, you know, a reasonable investment to spend thirty dollars on a book that you're not really sure if you're going to love it or not. Ebooks are fantastic, and so your email that comes out with you know the Kindle deals that are two or three dollars are fantastic. I know a lot of people take advantage of that um, in Australia. We often um, I buy a lot of books from Book Depository, which is a UK-based uh, bookseller, just because it's often cheaper to buy the book and have it shipped to me than to go to the bookstore, which is a fairly sad state of affairs. Um, and so I do try and buy books when I go to a bookstore because I just want to keep them open. But if I'm buying in bulk, I do tend to buy from Book Depository.
0: Tell me about your book club.
1: Uh, well, it's a another kindergarten mum uh, runs a book club. And when I heard that she did that, I asked, could I please join? I'd never joined one before. And um, we meet uh, sort of every six weeks or so. And... Actually, I'm not sure that they're really happy me being in there because I, they keep saying to me, you've read too many books. And every time they keep trying to find one that I hadn't read. So we've been having a lot of fun. Actually, we're going on a, um, I guess, a field trip next week. We're going to go and see the um, Agatha Christie Murder on the Orange Express at the movies.
0: That sounds like fun. That sounds like a good idea to see it with other readers. So you can either enjoy it or lament what they did to it together. Oh,
1: Absolutely. So I just reread it recently because I had forgotten, you know, what actually had happened. It was probably 30 years ago that I read it. Um, I actually went through an Agatha Christie phase um, in seventh grade and I think I read maybe 70 or 80 of her books. Oh, and, goodness. Yeah, like I just – I had this list and which I cannot find anywhere but it had two columns on it. So one one column was the list of Agatha Christie books and the other one was The Murderer. And so I just filled in The Murderer as I went through – all of the books and I've got a terrible memory so it was fantastic when I reread it recently I had no idea who the murderer was in this book <laughs> so and I even read and then there were none last year and I had no idea about that one either and and both of those books have very distinctive endings but I just had no idea so it was like reading it for the first time again that sounds like a good thing yeah it is a good thing
0: good enough absolutely I'll take it What's your current book club
1: It's actually an Agatha Christie. We chose, we wanted to get, have a Christmas theme and we chose, I think it's called The Adventures of the Christmas Pudding. I don't remember this one at all, but it's a, a series of short stories. I think there's five or six of them. And the first one is about a Christmas pudding. So I don't know if people get poisoned from the Christmas footing or what happens. I haven't read it yet, but that's that's the one that's coming up next.
0: Yes, I can't imagine this is going to be a warm your heart kind of story. No, it's
1: not going to be all mistletoe and, and Christmas trees.
0: <laughs> no, but that is a lot of fun, especially if you have that field trip planned. All right, Fiona, how does reading fit into your life right now?
1: Well, I'm not currently working, so I have... And my youngest child has just started kindergarten. So I actually feel like I have quite a bit of time to read. So I read constantly. And so I spend probably two hours a day reading. Ooh, that sounds lovely. When do you like to
0: read during the day?
1: I actually like to read at night. So I tend to, I read with the kids. Uh, so actually at, it's, reading starts at dinner time. We tend to listen to an aud- audible book and so at dinner tonight, we just finished uh, the Pendawicks. And then I read with the children individually. And and then I tend to read on my own as well. After that for a couple of hours. So yeah, I spend most nights reading. How do you decide what's a read? Good question. I have a very long list of books that I want to read. And I have a very big stack of books that I want to read um, that are s- sitting in my bedroom. But I take I take a lot of recommendations from different places. So obviously from from your podcast, I've got quite a few. And from your blog, actually, from quite some time ago, I found you a number of years ago. And I listened to a few different podcasts. My favorite podcast uh, for books was Books on the Nightstand, which unfortunately has stopped. So I always loved Michael Kindness's um, recommendations. So I've moved on to Roxanne Cody's Just the Right Book. Yes. Yes, I find her podcast so interesting and she often has authors on to talk about the books as well, which just adds a whole new dimension um, on the books. I get book recommendations from Instagram. So there's a couple of uh, people that I follow and one, I think it's now called Book Musings. Uh, and she She reads a lot of classics. I found that I um, she puts up once a month, um, her ratings of books uh, on a five-star uh, rating system. And I just found that I think one month she put up a book that I had read and she gave it five stars. And I thought, wow, yeah, I really loved that book. And so ever since then, whenever something she's rated as five star or four star, I'm like, I have to write that book down. Cause I know that I'm just going to love that,
0: that book. It's wonderful to find readers like that who love the books you love so you feel like you can take a chance on the books they love that you haven't read. Oh, absolutely. And
1: we also have, in Australia, we have a, a radio program, an arts and books and arts radio program run on the ABC, which I guess is kind of like public radio. And they do they podcast all of their reviews and so you can kind of skim through to see what books look interesting and listen to those particular podcasts to see if it's a book to, to add to the list.
0: It does sound like that could keep you busy for quite some time. Well, Fiona, I really enjoyed a book you recommended to me, and that was Picnic at Hanging Rock. I did really enjoy it. And I just recently finished a novel that reminded me so much of it. I'm thinking, well, we'll see. We'll see how our conversation goes. I'll listen to you unpack your loves and decide if it's a good book for you or not. But I really enjoyed it. And then did you also recommend Divided Kingdom? I did. Yes. Okay. That's the other one. I started it and I haven't finished it. I'm debating. Does
1: that mean you did Didn't enjoy it or it's just not for you?
0: I don't know. So I think here's what happened. I believe I picked it up right after my own book about personality came out and I was tired of talking about it. And then I started this book where everyone's sorted by the four humors. I thought, you know what? This sounds really interesting, but the timing might be a little wrong, but it's been a couple months. So now I could maybe pick it back up again. Do you want to give me a... Where does it fall in your personal list of favorite books? Not necessarily a book you think might be good for me, but how how does it live on in your memory? Well, it's definitely a five-star rated book in
1: my mind. And uh, as I said, I've got a very bad memory, but I do remember some of the scenes in that book pretty vividly. So I guess that's high praise for it.
0: I'd say so. How long ago did you read it? Maybe five or six years ago. Okay, so not, not as long ago as Agatha Christie.
1: Oh no no no! <laughs> <laughs> and *Picnic at Hanging Rock*, by the way, it's its fiftieth anniversary this year of it being published. So there's kind of a renewed interest in Australia in that book.
0: Yes, and they're making movies and well, I brought that home and I read it really quickly because it's not very long. And then my husband snatched it and he really enjoyed it. And then my friend saw it lying around and said, Ooh, can I can I can I borrow this and just return it to the library for you? So you've really started something.
1: Uh well you'll have to watch the movie because the movie I know movies are not always excellent based on books, but this the movie in its own right is fantastic. And she'll be going around the house saying, Miranda, Miranda, (laughs) because there's a very famous scene where they're searching for Miranda.
0: Oh, that's good to know. Now, I'm curious about the author's final chapter. I haven't read it yet. Do you think I should? The one that kind of explains what happened, that her publishers encouraged her to not publish with the book like she'd originally planned? I would say...
1: I don't, I don't think the chapter was very good and, um, I, it doesn't, it's got a very, I don't, yeah, it was a little bizarre. I wouldn't
0: write <laughs> it. Yeah. All right. I might leave my reading experience untinged then.
1: Yes. Live with the mystery. I can embrace the
0: mystery. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Fiona, I am dying to hear about your favorites and are are you ready to dive in? I am. Okay. You know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And then we'll talk about what you should read next. Did you have a hard time picking your favorites?
1: Absolutely. Oh, I was, yeah, I've talked to many people about this and people just said, pick three that you've read this year or pick three of your all time favorites or pick 3 I'm like, Oh, I don't know. So I've gone through many iterations of what I was going to choose. And so these are the three I've come up with. The first one is my all-time favorite book. And so it and I've it's one of the few books that I've reread and I reread it every 2 years or so. So I can talk with confidence about this one that it has staying power. So it is called Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K Jerome. It's a pretty old one. It's it was published uh, I think in 1889. So it's a, it's been around for a while. Um, it's the story of three men, George, Harris and Jay, who's the narrator, and their dog. You can't forget the dog, Montmorency. And they decide to go on a week-long boating holiday and they're going to camp out along the way. And they have visions of this ideal holiday as a way to relax and get away from the city of London. And, of course, things go awry and... This, it's not really a it's not really a travel log in the sense that it's telling the story of the journey because there's so many anecdotes and tangents to the story and the main purpose of the book is just to be very funny it's a comedy it's very uh, dry british humor so it's not it's different humor to american humor so it's not in the style of Tina Fey's Bossy Pants, uh, where she tells very funny anecdotes, um, and this is more of an understated, um, irony-based humour, um, told in a very serious tone, but it just—I find it absolutely hilarious—and I've been caught on the train coming home from work laughing out loud, with people looking at me and shushing me because I was laughing reading the book. <laughs> Yeah, it's one that I've read many times. There's many funny incidents in there. Um, my personal favourite is one about a tin of pineapple, but they also have incidents about putting up the tent, George playing the banjo, the maze at Hampton Court. It just goes on and on. There's just so, it's just very lighthearted. It's witty. It's kind of rambling. It's kind of in the style of – it's similar to PJ Woodhouse – so it's just that lighthearted, humorous kind of book that is kind of a, for me, is a comfort read that I can come back to and know that um, I'm going to laugh, it's gonna, I'm going to enjoy it, and nothing too serious happens in it.
0: Okay. That's a new one to me. Okay. Fiona, tell me the story of your second book. The
1: second book is A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery. It's uh, it's a bit of a long one. I think it's over 600 pages and it is the story, it's a, a realistic story set in India in 1975 and it's the story of we've got four characters that come together and are forced to live together in this cramped apartment and We have the back story, so we we learn about these four strangers, we find out about their histories, and then they come together and the story progresses from there. And it's set in a real time and place, and there's historical events going on. This is a fictional story of these four characters, but the events happening to them and around them are real and are true. And... You feel because it's told in such a, a realistic way and there's so much detail, you feel like you're living there with the characters. You almost feel like you're part of living in this cramped apartment with them. It's a very complex set of relationships and there's it's a very highly charged political time as well. So there's a lot going on. It's, it's a very um, broad novel in terms of there's a big character base and a big... Um, I mean, it's set in India, and we you do travel. We do travel across India and find different circumstances. This novel is has tragedy. It has sadness and the corruption and poverty and suffering, which sounds terrible. I'm not really selling it here, but there is the friendship and compassion uh, within the relationships, and it's a very engrossing novel because I guess with the level of detail and the feeling that you are actually there it draws you in it's very emotionally charged but there is, it is a fairly tragic novel so it's not for people that want their endings to be you know it's not a it's not a disney happy ending but what i enjoy about it so much is just the the recreation of a whole world that's detailed it's complex um there's many characters i think people have said about this novel that it's kind of has dickens like qualities because he just creates this whole world around it, um, so um, and I can see that. And there's some characters that kind of typify a whole group of people, um, which is a Dickens-like thing to do. But I just, I just enjoy this world. So I was struggling to pick between this book and um, the Salman Rushdie book, *A Mid- Midnight's Children*, which is also set in India, um, and I really enjoy the elements of magical realism in that book. But I just felt. A Fine Balance just really stayed with me, has stayed with me for a long time. The scenes are so well written that I can just so vividly picture them. And I just really enjoy how learning about the history of what was going on in India, even in this fictional setting, by understanding what these characters go through.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds really interesting. Fiona, what book rounds out your favorites? The third one is a little
1: different from the other two. It's The Lathe of Heaven by Ursula Le Guin. I haven't read any other Ursula Le Guin novels, so I can't really compare it to anything else, except to say this is not really sci-fi in the regular sense. It's more of a dystopian novel. And how I came across this one is that um, while we were living in the US, we had a family mission of visiting all 50 US states, and we only got to 30 when we left. And last year, we went back and did another six states, including going to Portland, Oregon. And so, I wanted to read a book from each of the states that we were visiting. And so, in researching what to read um, for Oregon, I came across this novel because the novel is set in Portland, which is Ursula Le Guin's hometown. So, I thought, well, this would be a good introduction to reading some Le Guin and also to finding out a little bit about Portland. So the novel starts out um, in Portland. It's the same as what it would be today except global warming has occurred and so there's quite a bit of climate change. And I think it constantly rains in Portland. I'm not sure if it constantly rains there now, but it does rain there a fair bit, but it's constantly raining there in this this novel. And what happens in this novel is that there's a very ordinary man who has this amazing ability – that when he dreams things, he actually dreams them into reality. So when he wakes up the next day, whatever he has dreamed has occurred. And so this novel is really about examining what to do about this situation. He doesn't, the man George doesn't want the power to change reality. And he interacts with a doctor who thinks he wants to, or he tries to harness the power of the dreams to make the world a better place. And so it asks a lot of big questions about, is it okay to play God? What's the best kind of reality to create? And so the novel just goes through a number of different alternative realities um, as the doctor tries to change the world through George.
0: That's so interesting because I think of Ursula Le Guin is existing. This sounds ridiculous, but as an author, she really exists outside of space and time for me. Like there is her work. And it got here somehow, but just to think of her as a human writing in Portland, Oregon, is my brain is adapting. So, so you think her novels came over on a spaceship? I, it's Le Guin. I would totally buy that. Well, maybe not a spaceship, actually, but some some kind of fairly magical unthought of way. Yeah. Do you like to do that a lot to read where you're traveling? I have for the last couple of trips. Um, so actually
1: it was very fun to do for this last trip. So we did, we started in Alaska. So I read the snow child, uh, why, we were there, which was super fun. That's perfect. Yeah. And, um, then we went to Seattle and I think I read, where did you go Bernadette? which is a nice fun read and it references so many places in Seattle, so that was kind of fun. Then Oregon, I actually read a couple for Oregon. So I read This Lathe of Heaven. I read uh, The Big Rock Candy Mountain by Wallace Stegner. And I also read, uh, of course, we read Ramona Quimby, age eight, um, because when we were in um, Portland, we went to, I think it's the Hollywood Library. They have a Ramona Quimby walk where you can go to Clickatap Street and so we, and so it takes you through a park that has a couple of statues of Ramona and Henry and the dog. I can't remember the dog's name, but they have a statue with a fountain. So of course the kids ran through the fountain with the statues, and then you get up to Clickitat Street. So we all had photos on the street sign, and um, so that was that was super fun to do that Ramona walk. And on the way there was a um, a little library, our first little library that we saw. So. So we all got a free book out of there as well, which was super fun.
0: Yes. I didn't know they had all that in Portland for Ramona. My my daughter is rereading those right now. She's supposed to read a series for school. And apparently she's never actually read them all, just most. So she's diligently diving in. I said diligently, but she's loving it. They're great books.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that was fun. And we also went to um, Montana. So we read A River Runs Through It. I read A River Runs Through It, Norman Maclean, And Utah was wife number 19, I think it was, yes. Eliza, and Eliza Young. And we ended up in Hawaii. So I read Cloud Atlas and I read Democracy by Joan Didion which I really enjoyed. I'd only read her The the Year of Magical Thinking, which was a fantastic book. I hadn't read much of her fiction before. So that was really fun to read
0: that novel, which was based in Hawaii. I forgot that she had the Hawaii connection. I've not read Democracy either. Well, that's a really diverse range of books that you've read and chosen as favorites. Fiona, what's the book that you're not so crazy about? I assume that, well, I don't know. Did you devote a lot of thought to this or was this a no-brainer for you? It was an easy one for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Uh, the book
1: that I didn't particularly enjoy was The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Mm-hmm.
0: Which has been a favorite on the podcast.
1: I know. So I feel bad about saying this. It keeps the reading life interesting. Why wasn't it for you? Well, one of the reasons was I had very high expectations for this novel, Um So the podcast I mentioned before, Books on the Nightstand, it was one of the favourites that kept being mentioned on that podcast. And so the other couple of favourites that had been mentioned were, I think, Rebecca by Daphne de Maurier and Any Human Heart, William Boyd. And I read both of those and were fantastic. So I thought, well, you know, this third one must be equally fantastic. So I had very high hopes for it. Um, So I started reading it and I didn't enjoy – the coincidences, there's so many coincidences at the beginning and who's chosen on the space team and all of that just seemed a little far-fetched to start with and it got a little slow in the middle but I kept going because I kept thinking it's going to have this amazing ending because everyone raves about this book. But the ending was not for me. I didn't really enjoy the meaning of The transmission that they had received from space so the whole reason they went into space was they had this radio signal and they were trying to decode what it was and you find out at the end what the meaning was and it just wasn't for me i'm just i just don't do well with violence and i think it was the nature of the violence in that book i just and the fact that the whole book was the whole reason for the mission was based on this particular level of violence. I just, I didn't sit well with me.
0: I finally read that book two or three years ago at, no, it's since the podcast started and we're coming up on our second anniversary. So it's been within the last two years and I read it uh, and, and Kingman probably ignited the initial interest and then Holland Saltzman pushed me into it. And the coincidences didn't bother me. I'd forgotten all about them until you were mentioning them just now. But I also maybe is, am a bit more of a sensitive soul than I needed to be to enjoy where this book ended up. It was hard. It was a much harder read than I expected it to be.
1: It was like, I had a problem with Outlander as well. I just felt like the level of violence um, towards the end of the first book was just too much for me. So I put it down.
0: I read those books and I enjoyed those books. But I think I, I think my eyes actually took in maybe like a fifth of the words in the section you're talking about. Like, you know what, I feel like I get the point and I'm okay with having an incomplete reading experience. So I don't have to, to read, to read all this. So... I, yeah, I hear you on that. So Fiona, what are you reading right now? Well, that is a
1: good question because I tend to have a very high stack that I'm reading through. Um, So the, one of the books that I'm reading is The Story of the Lost Child by Elena Ferrante. So that's the fourth book in her Neapolitan series. I was trying to read one a year and I've already read the third one this year, but the third one ended on such a dramatic note that I just really wanted to find out what happened. So I've I've caved in and I've started the fourth book already. <laughs> I hope it pays off. I'm sure it will. So yeah, I really enjoy her. I mean, apart from the fact that, you know, the two protagonists in it, one of them is not very likable. So but it's, for some reason, I keep reading, and I'm like, I just don't like her. But I guess I'm getting empathy for different kinds of people. And I guess I'm learning things from her, even though I don't particularly like her. How far are you into
0: the last book? Um, I'm about 80 pages in, so not very far. It might be that that last book changed my opinion of all the characters more than any other book. I mean, maybe. We'll we'll see what you think. So, I mean, I'm really glad I read them and I I read every word of that series. It's not like what I typically read. But it, yeah, that last one went places I was not expecting. Okay, great. I love it when there's a twist. I love it
1: when there's something that you don't expect to happen. I'm also reading uh, a novel or a series of short stories by Jhumpa Lahiri uh, called Interpreter of Maladies. Uh, so that's, I think that's a series of nine short stories. And uh, I just love her writing. I think I'm going to add her – I have a list of authors where I want to read everything they've ever written and I think she's going to go onto that list. Um, I've read The Namesake, uh, which I absolutely loved. Uh, She's just so great at uh, describing uh, the immigrant experience. And so just in reading that book, I mean, she talked about an Indian family um, living in the U.S. And even though I'm not Indian – I just felt such a connection to what they were experiencing and the cultural changes and living in a different country and she just is so, uh, articulates so well that experience and um, actually the sad thing about these short stories is that all of them could turn into a fantastic novel. So every time I finish one of these stories, I'm like, no. Um, But anyway, she's such a great writer. Um, I love her, her, her novels. Also reading um, an autobiography by Robert Graves, Goodbye to All That. He's a British author and he wrote the I, Claudius books and this is his story of – it's kind of a bit David Copperfield-ish because he starts right from the beginning of his life and goes through every year at school. Um, but we're finally we're at um, we're in in the war and he's um, sergeant in the war. So he's just describing that experience. But it's a it's quite hard to read in the sense that a lot of hard things are happening. So I'm reading that one quite slowly. And the Audible book that I'm listening to, I'm a big fan of Audible. I um, listen to Audible while I'm cooking, and I've just started Vanity Fair by William Makepeace Thackeray. So I'm just a couple of hours into that. I think it's a 31-hour listen. So I've just really just started that one.
0: Okay. All right, Fiona, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life?
1: Uh, Well, one thing that I did realise in getting ready for this podcast was that I haven't read a lot of Australian fiction and so I was frantically reading a whole lot of books before coming on because I just felt, felt like I just didn't have enough I don't know enough knowledge or enough reading experience into Australian novels and not just so I'm, I'm talking about Australian authors that write about Australia and so I really want to delve into that so I'm not expecting you to give me those and but that's just an area that I think I need to um, to look at and the and the other area that I would like to get more into is I've got a couple of – I've got a few novels from Virago Modern Classics and the Persephone publishing line as well, and they're publishing uh, women authors that have uh, fallen out of print and there's just been some really fantastic books um, coming out of those uh, print printing presses and I just feel like I don't know enough about these authors and I'd really love to delve uh, more deeply into them Um I've read some Barbara Pym novels which are just so fantastic and I just feel like it would be great to know more about them and I think they've they've both got lists of hundreds of books so um, it's just a matter of knowing which ones to, to delve into there. Could I recommend you some Australian books? Oh, absolutely. So I wanted to um, just give you and the readers a couple of Australian suggestions for novels to read about Australia. So I recently read a book called Extinctions by Josephine Wilson. It actually won our National Book Award this year, which is called the Miles Franklin Award. And it's the story about a cranky old man moving into a retirement village, meeting his neighbours and getting um reestablishing his relationship with his children and as I was thinking about the description of this book I thought this really sounds like an Australian version of a man called Uver. and so I thought I really loved that book and I know a lot of your readers have too and I thought well this would be a really good way to get into an Australian book in a very similar way to that book I think and it's a good novel about relationships and how he changes um over, over time, so that one's set in Western Australia, and I feel like it's a really good representation of Australian life. So that's that's a really recent one too. I feel like there's lots of novels that kind of caricature Australia, so I really like novels that are set in a kind of realistic um, time frame and set kind of a realistic environment and. I think a novel that does that really well is Three Dollars by Elliot Perlman. It was It's set in the 1990s during the recession and it tells the story of a man who falls from a middle-class kind of style of living down to having just $3 and it's a, a reasonably thick novel but I feel like it tells the story so well. It's set in Melbourne um, which is – uh, the second largest city here in Australia. And it just tells it so well. You feel like you're there and it's very realistic um, in that time and place. And the third novel that I'd recommend is A Town Like Alice by Neville Shute.
0: <laughs> I was. <laughs> you, like, yeah, you read this one? I was. And I was just frantically scrawling, like, what if she hasn't read this? Oh my gosh, that would be a great book for Fiona. <laughs> tell me about it. It's one of my mom's favorites and I've read it, but not since I was maybe college age. It's been a long time.
1: Okay. Yeah. This story is about two people that meet as prisoners of war. And I think they're in Malaysia at the time in the second world war and the story. So they meet in, in they're separated in different prisoner of war camps and then, um, the war ends and then the story takes on the process of finding each other and what happens after that. And the title's a little misleading. I thought I thought the title was a little misleading. It's A Town Like Alice. I thought the story was going to be about the town called Alice Springs, which is in central Australia. But it's actually creating a town that is like Alice somewhere else. The, it's just a beautiful novel um, about a relationship between two people and how they come together and how they work together to create this town. I actually had a funny story. Um, people give me a lot of secondhand books to create book art with, and cut them up and do all sorts of things that people might be worried about doing to books. But I got these this set of forty Reader's Digest books um, that someone was giving away, and they're all abridged copies. So there were three novels in each in each book, and most of them I haven't heard of, and hadn't heard of the author or the novel. So I didn't really have any worry about pulling them apart or ripping the covers off or changing them into anything,
0: except one of them was A Town Like Alice. Really? Because I have some of those editions because they're beautiful, even if I never want to read them. They
1: are absolutely gorgeous. So they're great for book art because the end papers are beautiful patterned papers and and often they're cloth bound in a, in a lovely material as well. So I find them fantastic for book art. But... I cannot understand how they could have abridged that novel. (laughs) What could they have cut out? So there's only a few novels that I can think of that are worth abridging, but that is not one of them. So anyway, it's worth reading in full. And I think it's set in the 1950s of Australia and it's set in the, the bush in the country. So it's kind of what a lot of people imagine Australia to be like you know, with gum trees and farms and, and kangaroos and what it's like to, to live in the outback.
0: Okay. That reminds me, this was on my mind last night when I went to bed, but then when I woke up before my usual rising time to talk to you in Australian time, I totally forgot you sent me the most amazing book art, but I I don't, and we'll share a photo and show notes. How did you do that?
1: Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I organized with Brenna to send that send that as a surprise. So I was really glad that she didn't let you know what was ha- what was coming.
0: <laughs> no, she didn't tell me anything. So I opened it up and I mean, quickly, re- like there's a book. Why is the cover not closed all the way? And quickly realized, oh my gosh, this might be the nicest thing I've ever gotten. And it was a hardcover Australian edition of Harry Potter where the pages had been folded down so that when you set it on its base the folded of pages spelled out what should I read next it's amazing and I've seen patterns on Etsy where you can fold pages a certain way to spell out something like love or make a heart but I have no idea how you spelled out what should I read next and you can keep it your own mystery if you want but I was so impressed. And it's so fun. Like it's sitting on my desk right here.
1: It's way more mysterious than the actual folding. <laughs> <laughs> it's so prosaic to, uh, to explain that, to explain it. Well, really what I do is I design on the computer what I'd like the book to look like. And then I have a, a computer program that
0: converts that design into a folding pattern. And there's a program. Yes. I'm so surprised. There are more readers out there than I realize who (laughs)
1: care about these things. So I, so you just basically it's following a pattern and cutting and folding as the pattern requires to, I have a special ruler to make things a little easier and quicker and I usually sit here and I watch episodes of West Wing and I cut fold books. <laughs> oh, that sounds delightful. I apologize to anyone that is upset about me cutting up books because, warning, I have
0: destroyed quite a number of books in making book art. But I think if you saw the finished product, you might be persuaded, especially if they thought that you were really cutting and folding condensed Reader's Digest editions.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. I've only ever used a new book once, and that was for a um a friend of mine wanted a a sherlock themed fold, and so I bought a new edition of I think the Complete Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It's like a nine hundred and fifty page book. and so i she's a big fan of the um TV show Sherlock, so i had I folded into the book I am Sherlocked and <laughs> it just looked amazing.
0: That sounds amazing. Okay. I'm glad you reminded me of that. It's amazing. We'll share a photo. Well, thank you for those Australian novel recommendations. Uh, yeah, I have reading to do. Have you read? Yeah. I mean, I can't recommend a Neville Shute novel to you as well, but the only other one I've read by him is On the Beach. I have not
1: read that one, no.
0: Because it sounds dark or because you just haven't gotten there? or
1: it, I just haven't. I, I've heard of it, but I haven't. It hasn't made it to my list
0: uh, post-apocalyptic, for those of you who don't know Neville shoot. So I think it's set near and partly in Melbourne. It's the 60s. World War Three has happened. And Shute goes into detail about what happened, like which country attacked Italy and then escalated to attacking uh, the U.S. and Britain, and then how there was some misunderstanding. So the Soviets were attacked and... the nuclear fallout is killing everyone a year later and people are deciding what they want to do and how they want to die. And it's also slim. And I don't know, I don't remember it having that hopeful edge that A Town Like Alice definitely has. There's no love story in On the Beach. But yeah, I haven't thought about A Town Like Alice in a long time. So thank you for that. Okay, Fiona. Fiona. About your books. Well, there's there's plenty to choose from. Three Men in a Boat is lighthearted and funny. A Fine Balance is Dickensian. And The Lave of Heaven is Ursula Le Guin. <laughs> we can just leave it at that. Oh, but then there's so many others you've enjoyed. Okay, since you said that you wanted to read more Australian fiction by Australians, I'm wondering about Jane Harper. Have you read her debut novel, The Dry?
1: I have. and I Did, did you enjoy, enjoy it? That. I did, yes.
0: Okay. Do you know about her one, her new one? It's not out yet in the States, but it's out fairly recently in Australia. It's called Force of Nature. Do you know of this one yet? I have seen it in the bookstore, but I have not. I haven't looked at it. And I haven't purchased it. Okay. We're going to go with this for book one. And... It might be a very American thing to do, to say that this reminds me of Picnic at Hanging Rock, just because I probably don't read as much Australian fiction as you do. But the reason I did is what happens is five women in the modern day, and they're women who would be perfectly at home uh, if the tone were different in a Leon Moriarty novel. So five women uh, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, who are professionals who are going on a work retreat with some, some company with a perky name, like, like outdoor expeditions or like bonding adventures. It's something like that. The point is they're going on a team building exercise into, you know, it's probably a real forest and you would probably know it. Uh, the, the gear along ranges. No, I don't know that. Okay. So I don't know if that means she made it up or if it's just in a part of the country that, that we don't know. But what happens is five women walk into the woods on this outdoor hiking multi-day adventure and only four of them come back and nobody knows what happened. Nobody knows where the woman went. They don't know if she's alive or dead or what happened. There were some um, sinister things that happened in these woods involving known criminals decades before, but that brings this recent disappearance or murder, they're not sure which brings those long ago news stories to mind. And over the course of 300 pages, we figure out what was going on in everyone's lives, what happened in the woods day by day. It cuts back and forth in time through Aaron Falk, who you met in the dry through his investigation with his partner trying to figure out in real time now, what what you know how are they going to find her or what happened to her and then that narrative is interspersed with the timeline of the women's actual days in the outback so you find out what happens when they arrived in that first evening where things start to go wrong and then the next morning and so everything comes together at the end when you find out what happened and i'll leave it at that
1: how does that sound to you that sounds fantastic And I've just Googled it while we've been
0: talking. It is a real place and it's in the state that I live in, in New South Wales. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I could have imagined that she had completely invented it because she does put what I assume is some pretty creepy fictional history there. And I can imagine not wanting to put scary invented crimes into a real forest, Mm. but that's exactly what she did apparently. So, okay. I got to meet Jane Harper. She was in New Orleans for her one U.S. tour promoting the dry and force of nature in the fall. And she's a delight. Just in case you ever get the opportunity to see her in person. She's way too sweet and kind and warm to be like, oh, obviously you write murder mysteries. (laughs) Well, all Australians are nice, aren't we? So (laughs) That's been my experience for sure. Okay, for book two, have you read any Evil and Woe besides Bride's Head? I've read maybe six or seven of his novels. Okay. Am I – so that's not going to work for you because you've already read them. I was thinking those might be akin to Three Men in a Boat. Is, is that – Yes, very similar writing. Some
1: of his novels are very funny. So I think I've read *Vile*, Vile Bodies – and Black Mischief—that's a very funny one. Very similar in tone.
0: In Decline and Fall, I was wondering about, but if you've read six or Seven. Oh, I I have read Decline and Surely Fall. Surely well, you've read that one. Okay. <laughs> Surely you've also read The Wind in the Willows. I have. What a wonderful book!
1: It's it is a wonderful
0: to, book. It's complex to read that one though,
1: because I've I read that one aloud to my children, and although the story flows along, like the plot flows along. There's a lot of description in that book. And so he spends a lot of time um, creating the environment that the plot happens within.
0: Yes, it's a lot. Well, okay. So I've read this at multiple times in my life. And when I came back the second time, there was a lot more on the page than I remembered. Like I remembered the surfacy story to it. And I didn't remember all the like richly built details. That was a lot of fun. Okay. What? I want to get you something funny. And I think I'm all, I'm all out of my funny options. Something light. Okay. What about, I'm a little afraid to recommend this one only because it is massive, but the way you were describing a fine balance in the lathe of heaven made me wonder about a suitable boy by Vikram Sethi. I have read that one. And loved it. So you're totally on the right track. It's 1,500 pages. You've read it? That scares most people off. Oh, and I said it was by Vikram Sethi. It's not. It's by Vikram Seth.
1: So we have school. our summer school vacation in January, and the kids have about six weeks off. So in January, I, I, we, didn't have, we don't have nap time in our house anymore because the kids are a little bit older. But we had an hour of reading time every day. And so in January, I think last year, my one hour of reading was to read a suitable boy. So I got through it in a month.
0: Okay. A whole month.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And in fact he's got he's actually a poet and his um, inscription at the beginning of the book is a poem and he makes fun of his own book at the beginning. He writes something like it's a wrist breaker or something like that, because it is so big. And I actually had the hard copy, the hardcover book with me. Um but it was perfect to read an hour a day um, while the kids were all reading as well.
0: I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. Although that doesn't really help me out, Fiona. <laughs> Have you read The Narrow Road to the Deep North by Richard Flanagan? No, but it's sitting on my bookshelf, staring at me,
1: calling me to read it. So this is perfect.
0: Okay, so it's a Man Booker Prize winner by an Australian and the audiobook is is not bad, because I know you do Audible. So this is a story of an Australian doctor. There's a Japanese slave labor camp. And I love that the title, which is so, I mean, is it just me? Do you love this title? It's very evocative. It's taken from a 17th century haiku poet's travel journal. Mm. Yeah, the reason
1: I haven't started reading it is it's been sitting there for a, a few months because I was just a little worried about the content, whether it was going to be really heavy going
0: uh, just with the prisoner of war camp. It is, it is heavy going. There's war and there's some racy scenes also, but what made me think of it is, uh, you know, I want to call this Dickensian cause you like that one novel that was, but I don't think that's actually a fair comparison. It's an Australian writing about Australians, both contemporary and the history a man booker prize winner from australia
1: i have read another of his novels he's also written a book called gould's book of fish and that was fantastic it was very detailed convict uh based book
0: that's interesting um it's such a weird title i think i remember the reviews on that being on the whole a bit better but it's the narrow road that won the man booker prize which is so interesting there is, there is a key plot point that is a little sexy, but I don't know, Fiona, I don't know how much you are a, I want to cross that title off my list kind of reader.
1: I am. And I'm very um, interested in reading all of the Booker Prize winners. So um, it's definitely a book that I want to, to uh, get into at some point.
0: I will be curious to hear
1: what you think.
0: For our last title...
1: What do you know about Marjorie Sharp? She's one of the Virago modern classics, is she? She's,
0: I've heard her name. She's a British author who is probably best known for The Rescuers, a work for children. And I don't know if you have ever read that, but it often goes on the shelf with the books like Charlotte's Web and Stuart Little and The Borrowers. But the one I'm thinking of for you, and I'm looking for that classic, British humor, like Three Men in a Boat. Um, I'm thinking about Gypsy in the Parlor. And it came out, I think, in the 50s, but it's set in the 19th century. And in the same way that that Woe plays with maybe the decline of the Victorians and modern civilization, Sharp does the same thing in this book. And I, that probably sounds a little too like literary criticism of a description, but what I want to say is she does that in a really fun, lighthearted way, poking fun at how um, individuals, especially females are seen in modern times. And again, I think this is the fifties is her modern times that she's writing in. And it just makes it funny. Like the contrast is really funny. And I, I think it still reads as pretty fresh today, but if I handed it to you and said, Hey, this came out last week, you'd be like, this is a little strange to me. But I think knowing that it is like a more old fashioned kind of humor might make it appealing. So she is really funny. She's lighthearted enough that she writes books like The Rescuers for Children. But um, this is definitely written for adults uh, set during a historically hot summer in England. Although I don't know if that a true story or not, but it is part of her story here. It's there's a little bit of hijinks, a little bit of misunderstanding that drives the plot along, a little bit social commentary. It's not particularly long. How
1: does that sound to you? It sounds like it would fit right in with some of these novels that I would enjoy. Yeah.
0: It could be a nice space between Flanagan and (laughs) Where'd you go, Bernadette? A suitable boy. A nice short novel you could breeze through really quickly. I don't feel like I'm describing it very well. So maybe I should have just stopped at, it's British. It's got that particular British humor. And it has characteristics of books that you have loved. It sounds fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. That's very gracious. Fiona, of the books we've talked about today, what do you think you'll read next? Well, given that
1: the Richard Flanagan novel is sitting about a metre away from my bedside table. I'm going to grab it and move it over. So I think that'll be the first one that I read. Um, And then I'll probably move on to The Gypsy in the Parlour just for something light after that heavy novel. But I'll be looking out for Jane Harper's novel for sure because I really did enjoy The Dry. Um, So thank you for delving into some Australian books for me.
0: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for bringing all your knowledge to my bookshelves. I love talking books with you today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Anne. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Fiona today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Fiona and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 110, that's 110, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, we have another great episode coming your way next week, and we've never had one quite like it before. I'm talking to a mother-daughter duo who had been reading together for nearly 20 years until the daughter went away to college in the fall. Here's a peek.
1: I, I'm originally from Sweden, so we read a lot of Swedish picture books when you were little. Yep. And, uh, and then we transitioned. And when, you started, when we started reading Dr. Seuss and stuff in English, that was a first for me also because I'd never read them before. So that was cool. I got to experience a lot of American children's books with Emily for the first time.
0: This is such a fun and different episode and I can't wait to share it with you next Tuesday. It's excellent listening for this time of year. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Readers, the Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge is live for 2018. Visit the show notes to get the details. That's at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 110. Visit that page to sign up and get your free goodies to help you get more out of your reading life in 2018. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Anne with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Vogel and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you.